Well, we enter into a time of teaching, and then we'll come to the Lord's table and to continue our worship, and, um, and then we'll send each other out with the good word, with the benediction, and, uh, and that will conclude our morning. And hopefully that sets your soul for the week to say, I visited with my brothers and sisters in Christ and with God. And we called it church. Well, um, I'm talking about prayer today. And as I look back uh, over 25 years, this topic, this particular bent on this, I have preached over 24 times. Well, I've preached it 24 times, over two dozen times. That's 24 times. And um, in various shapes and forms. And um, it's not what we think of prayer. And somebody said, as we were gathered before service, they said, like, so this is really important to you. And I said, I guess so. Because, well, you'll see. So if you feel like pulling up the Bible on your phone, we're in Jonah, a little book in the Old Testament, Prophet Jonah. And it's a strange little book. You know, it's the big fish one and all that. But it's four chapters long. It's totally worth a read. So if you have Jonah in front of you, this will be interesting. So here we are in Jonah chapter 2, verse 3. And here's what we have. Jonah is talking, praying to God. You, emphasis mine, you hurled me into the deep, Jonah says, and into the very heart of the sea. And the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. You hear this and you hear the accusing tone, the blaming tone of Jonah on God. You, you did this to me, God. If Jonah was the only book in the Bible, would we pray? <laughs> like, is this how we think of prayer? I, I believe we'd pray like Jonah if we did not even choose God. You see, many of us do this thing. Uh, you know, this is a, really a rather modern thing, okay? We think we can believe or not believe in God, which is really weird. And Okay, when I say it's recent, it means about 550 years old. But nonetheless, before that, people didn't have a notion of whether or not you believed or disbelieved in God. Now we feel like we can hold God hostage. I don't believe in you. Like somehow, poof, God disappears because we decided that God doesn't exist or whatever. Like, Wow, talk about all-powerful genie. You know, like we can do that? I guess so. We hear it all the time. I just simply won't believe you. If, if my world has too many mistakes and inconsistencies and weirdness and doesn't comport with science and all the rest of it, then I just renounce you. The idea, this idea never occurred to Jonah. Never occurred to Jonah, right? Of course, you know, it's written 2,500, 26, 2,800 years ago. Jonah's mistake, though, is that he thought he could flee from this God that he was blaming for his circumstance. He thought he could flee from God. But he never thought that he could just simply start disbelieving in God and somehow that would solve all of his inconsistencies in his life. People who belong to God pray like Jonah. And that's why I choose Jonah. So 
This morning, we're going to work on this really interesting little nuance on how to pray. It's a how morning, okay? How to pray like Jonah did in the belly of the fish. And don't miss the whole metaphor, like what's going on there. If you're inside the belly of a fish, how much more in seclusion and solitude could you ever be? You're in your cell, as the old desert fathers would say. So we're going to work on this, okay? How to pray to the real God of the Bible, relational, being present all around us, this mysterious and so ungodlike God, not the God of the American affluent consumer that all of us, you know, whether you like it or not, that's what we are. And not that God, not the God that says it all works out in the end, not the God that says, I'm going to make all your kids' teeth straight. You, you know what I mean? Like, not that God. We're talking about the God of the Bible, the God of Jonah. That's the one we're talking about. So, Fortunately, though, just so we don't just have, you know, blame Jonah for this version of God, we have other witnesses in Scripture with this same sort of idea that we're going to dig into. Fortunately, we don't just have Jonah's only voice in the Bible story of God. So Jonah's prayer is not this oddity, this one-off sort of character. There are others who validate Jonah. You did this to me, God. You did this to me, this sort of attitude. There's Job. Don't forget good old Job. You know, Job. The beautiful verse, if you only have one verse out of Job, it's this. Though he slay me, still I cling to him. Though you slay me, still I cling to you. That's the God of the Bible. Oh, and then there's Psalm 88, the 88th Psalm, verses 6 through 9, and then I'm tagging on 18 because I'm cherry picking. Um, you, God, have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths, your wrath lays heavy upon me. You have overcome me with all your waves. Oh, that sounds very Jonah-like. You have taken me away from my closest friends and have made me a repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, O Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. And then verse 18, you have taken away my companions and my loved ones from me. And the darkness is, and darkness is my closest friend. So Jonah's not alone. Our Jewish friends, our Jewish friends, if you have devout Jewish friends, you could bring this up with them sometime. Our Jewish friends have a word for this relationship with God. And it's a Yiddish word, davka. It's Hebrew. Davka. Davka. Davka sums up prayer from the belly. This, this, this that prayer in the same breath that blames God and yet clings to God not disbelieves in God. The, the Jews never thought of the idea of, the, of, not, of disbelieving in God. You clung to God and you blamed God at the same time. That's prayer in the Bible. All the time. Davka, okay? And uh, it, it's as though they're saying, in spite of you, God, and, be, and yet because of you, in spite of and yet because. I asked my good uh, Jewish brother-in-law years ago, I said, uh, if he could explain Davka to me. And he said, uh, oh, yeah, it's like this. He says, uh, it's like when I flew to Israel and I flew on uh, El Al Airlines, the Israeli airlines, and, uh, and the Palestinians said they were going to shoot down any El Al airline that they saw. 
He said, so I got on the plane in spite of and because of they were going to shoot it down. Dafka. In spite of and yet I cling to thee. The idea of praying to God in spite of God. Though you slay me, still I will hope in you. I cling to you. Now we hear this and we say, well, that's not very smart. That's exactly what Job's friends and his wife told him. He said, why don't you just curse God and die? But Job and Jonah know something that we don't know about God. They know God a different God than we can even imagine. And Jonah doesn't stop believing in God just because God doesn't fit his little box and his life and whatever's going on. Instead, what happens is, is the box expands. There's always God, and then life begins to, to get big. Jonah adjusts his life to fit God. And what we find most of the time these days is we try and find a God that fits our life. You know what I mean? Like we try and put God in the box. And it doesn't work that way. Life tells you you need a bigger God. I listened to, uh, years ago, pretty much at the same time, I listened to two cancer survivors. Two women dealing with cancer. Um, two very different relationships with God. Talking about God in a box. Okay. So the first woman, um, she, she was really conflicted with her cancer, in my opinion. And it had been a year or so, and she was fighting cancer. And, um, and she was so positive and so upbeat, which was inspiring. But then something began to kind of bother me. Because as she talked about her relationship with God, she said, my God doesn't do this to people. My God is loving and only wants the best for me. Now, I've been a pastor for a while, and I'm like, okay. I mean, you're the one with cancer. Who am I to say something back? I didn't. She was highly churched, very devout by our standards of religion and more morality. And she was super kind, sweet, 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 right? Now, the other woman who was dealing with cancer had cancer and was fighting it. A few years ago, Laurie and I were at a retirement party for a, a, um, an executive retiring, big-time partner in the, in the company and all that. We're at this retirement party, and we got invited to New York City at Christmas time. Matter of fact, our hotel is right across from Central Park, right where, you know, um, Zoe Deschanel sang, you know, um, whatever the Christmas. Anyway, Buddy the Elf reference. So anyway, it was right there. Uh, so, and so here we are in this small group and we'd walk several blocks in sort of the cold and the rain. It was very New Yorkish. And we went downstairs in this Italian restaurant to the basement to this, to one of the, this guy's favorite Italian restaurant. I think they knew his wine and everything. And, and it's all so super cool. The talk is loud. It's boisterous. It's the joie d'oeuvre, man. I mean, this is, it's like a movie scene. The wine is flowing. The jokes are being told. And the stories of the 35 years or whatever in the corporation. And, uh, and I'm over in the corner because I'm just a spouse of a, you know, nobody. I'm just a nobody there along for the ride, which was really fun. Um, 
And I'm sitting next to this woman with cancer, right? And she's all the way in the corner. And uh, she's quiet. And, and, um, and it's just all so good. And I'm seated next to this woman who'd been fighting cancer for two years. And, um, and I ask her, while this huge hubbub's going on in the room, I ask her, I said, so how's the past year been? Just her and me. How's the past year been? And, um, and she says, um, she leans into me and she says, I feel like I'm the only person alive. Not the answer I was expecting. And her eyes sparkled and it's like she was beyond the rest of us in the room. So here we are in the situation that all the world dreams of in New York City in a, on a rainy, Christmassy Saturday night, old money, old friends, big success, Italian food, laughter, world by the tail. And it was like this moment where this woman next to me, close to death, and she thinks, all of the rest of us in the room, we're the dead ones. And she's the only person alive. What's more, she wasn't even the most devout. Uh, she went to church and stuff, but she wasn't the most devout Christian that I knew. She wasn't all out there about it and everything. And I knew at that moment when she said that to me, I said, I thought, her God is better than my God. I got stuff to learn. Did she blame God? I didn't ask her. Is that the right question? It didn't matter. God was with her. God was close to her. God, she was alive. She, she had not abandoned God. She didn't think that God had abandoned her. That, that wasn't the issue. She clung to God, though you slay me. This is the real prayer from the belly of the fish. This is what we learn about prayer from Jonah and the rest of the Bible. This is what we learn. You, you got a dafka <laughs> like Jonah. You've got to, in spite of and because of, you know, and you and I are going to have to learn to lean into our mess and find God right there. That, that's what you do. Our, our hell is our way to heaven. And, and that's what happened to Jonah. Don't miss this telling sequence of events in Jonah's soul searching. First, he sins. He sins big because he ran away from God when God told him to go tell the people of Nineveh, you know, that they were doing bad and all this stuff. And, and then he sins. He says, I'm the sinner. And then the other sailors throw him overboard, right? And that's how he gets in the big fish. It's a, it's a fun little Sunday school story. Fun's a euphemism. And, um, and he just says, just throw me overboard because I'm done. I'm done with the whole thing. I just want to die. I just want to get it over with. Jonah's sinking down, the seaweed's wrapped around his head, and this huge fish swallows him. And get this right. The fish is not punishment. The fish is Jonah's salvation. That's what saves his sorry rear and puts him out onto the, the, the beach. And you're like, you're not getting more Jewish at this moment to say like, okay, God, so you're going to send me a big fish and it's going to swallow me? Thank you. You call this salvation? You know, while you're at it, why don't you give me a nice paper cut and squirt some lemon juice in it while you're at it? You know, we're closed. 
You call it salvation? By God's good grace and mercy, Jonah finds himself inside of a fish, and he finally, finally, finally prays. He finally prays to God. He accuses God. He's angry at God, and yet he clings to God. You hurled me into the sea, and it's your storm that brought this upon me. Eugene Peterson, uh, one of my favorite authors, he passed a few years ago. He's really an expert on this whole thing. Eugene Peterson says that Jonah was trying to sweet-talk God, even inside the fish. He's now starting to bargain. Does that sound familiar, when we all pray to God? We start to bargain. He starts to placate God, and he makes this cheesy promise to God. He goes to a scripture that he, uh, that he knew, because he's a Jew, and it comes out of the Psalms. He goes to this classic scripture. He says, I remember you, God. I pray to you. I remember your temple. I cling to you, O Lord, and I finally obey you, and I vow to you, God, and I'll do whatever you ask. And Eugene Peter says, wah, 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 wah. That's not a real prayer. Now, I read it, and I thought, oh, that's a cool prayer. And Eugene Peter's saying, like, he's sitting there trying to play this, like, I'm just going to give you the standard prayer thing here, and then you're going to, like, rescue me, right? But our salvation's in the belly. And all those simple religious slogans about what would Jesus do and let let go and let God and God's my co-pilot and all that sham doesn't happen when you're in the belly of life. At least not for everyone. So Jonah, he runs and he runs into God. And I don't know what you're running from these days. I don't know what you're running from. Maybe you're just numbing out. Maybe it's God. Maybe you're running from God. Maybe you're running from your upbringing, from your family of origin. Maybe you're running from your lack of intimacy or you think nobody loves you or ever will love you. Maybe you're running from that. Maybe you're just trying to entertain yourself until you die, like one man told me one time. But I hope and pray that you end up running into God, and I hope and pray, here's your pastor telling you this, I hope and pray you end up in the belly of the fish, because then you're going to have intimacy with God. I'm not wishing bad things to happen to us. I'm just saying, when it comes, will you cling to God? Will life expand? Who's God? See, Jonah wanted the evil wiped off. He wanted the Assyrians wiped off the face of the earth. Oh, yeah, and by the way, the Assyrians in Nineveh, they were freaking evil people. They made the Jews walk through the desert with their dead, decapitated ancestors' heads, uh, I mean, their family members' heads, on ropes around their neck. These are not kind, nice people. Jonah's right. The Assyrians should be wiped off the face of the earth, which, by the way, 70 years later, they are. Jonah and Israel expected God, uh, Jonah and Israel both expected God to rain down justice. Instead, God forgave the Assyrians. Outrageous. This is Jonah's God. But what's he do? Yeah, he shakes an angry fist at God and he blames God and he says, How could you? But still, Jonah turns to God. And that's the difference between now and and Jonah. That, my friends, is the difference. Even though you slay me, still I cling to you. So with the real God, we're left to only do one thing. We bring our entire life before God. What you see is what you get. 
and you expand your world to match your circumstance and you expand your God to match your life. And that means it gets gray. Because life is gray, right? As we often say when you're my age, you know, you start out living life in Proverbs, right? You know Proverbs. You teach your child to do the right thing, life turns out good. They do bad stuff, you follow, you know, her. So, sorry, women. You follow her, and it's going to go bad, right? That's what it says in Proverbs. Yeah, next book, Ecclesiastes. You do all the right stuff for your kids, and then they go wild. Meanwhile, your neighbor, the trashy parents, their kids turn out perfect. What? Oy vey. You know what I mean? Like, how's that happen? You move from Proverbs to Ecclesiastes in life, and life gets gray. It just goes that way. All those kind of things that go on out there, all the anxiety, all the bad stuff. And sometimes people just come out fine. And other times people live these perfect, idyllic lives and things go bad. They get cancer. Anything else is a sham spiritual life. Now, I know everything I've just said sounds way off base when it comes to prayer, and it's not very Sunday school. I mean, I hope and pray the kids over, you know, are being taught it all turns out good if you do good and it goes bad if you, you know what I mean? Like, and God's going to be there for you. So don't go walking out of here and go tell your girl, look, kid, I know you're three and a half years old, but it, your life is going to go to hell in a handbasket. You're going to the belly of it. Like, don't, don't go out there and do that. It's not going to go over well, right? So you got to have some mileage to be able to hear this. Right, you got to live some years and go through some stuff, and then you begin to kind of nod in like you guys are doing right now, saying like, yeah, I didn't want that to be true, but I guess it is. But pray you must in the belly of the fish. Pray you must and cling to God. Don't do this cheap existential thing about denying God, you know, it doesn't make any difference whether there's a God or not. You know. You know that um, they, they, uh, they put these cards on the back of the seats. This is a spiritual care card. And there's three of them. And they're great. This is really cool. You can do their, there's a connect card if you want to do that. There's a giving card. And stuff. But this spiritual care card, there's probably a pin there somewhere too. And um, you could write, you could write on there, saying like, "This is the thing I'm. This is what I'm dealing with. This is what I'm going through." You know. And um, where do we put these? If you fill out this card for like a prayer request, who do, who do you give it to? I don't know. The oh, the offering box in the back. I don't know these new rules. <laughs> You come up here for a communion, you set it right here on the corner of this thing here, and I'll take care of it. And then I'm going to get a talking to later in the week about how I did it wrong. But I guess I didn't ask all the right questions, so that's that. This, this thing doesn't end, you know. 
the teaching here just goes on. It'll go on tonight. It'll go on tomorrow. It'll go on five years from now. You remember Jonah, though. And you remember this God of the Bible that says, life, life is bigger. And your God better get bigger. Otherwise, you're going to be sitting around thinking that you can somehow stop believing in God and somehow that's going to make all of your life come together and be perfect and be a nice, tight thing. And it doesn't work that way. God's in the mess. We don't have any choice. And neither did Jonah. Jonah.